the uh, end of weekend edition of the Fish Cast. My name is Corey Long. I am joined by, as always, Charles Fishbine, because it's his fish, it's his podcast with his name on it. And joined again, special guest, bringing it, bring, coming back after a week off, Coach Demo, Chris Demarest in the house. Everybody ready? Everybody ready? We got a lot. We got a lot to pack in. Um, the uh, we're, we're we're actually taping this at about a little bit after eleven thirty on Sunday, so the rankings will be out in the next thirty minutes, which we'll talk about those. But first, first before, before before we talk about the game, so you get all your hot takes in and talk and just start railing on Stetson Bennett in about twenty minutes or so. But let's start out with uh some of the coaching updates since the last time we were here. Uh. Last time we talked about, you know, obviously Florida made their change. Uh, then USC came in with uh, Lincoln Riley. Uh, LSU, who everybody thought was uh, was number one in the Lincoln Riley chase, ends up going after Brian Kelly, which was the big domino that another big domino that fell this week. Marcus Freeman, thirty-five-year-old defensive coordinator, uh, ends up. Be taking the Notre Dame job, and this morning we're hearing that Clemson D coordinator Brent Venables is now in in position to take the Oklahoma job. So, and, and also we're going to get to the Miami Mario stuff, which is really interesting. Or we could start there. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you guys decide where to start with all this coaching stuff. So, I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna shut it off right now. Well, I mean, the Miami thing is truly. <laughs> Remarkable. I mean, they have a head coach they haven't even fired yet. And that's, I, I mean, listen, I know the business, it's a tough business. Demo's been in the business. And I personally think the way Miami's handling this is truly terrible. And I, I think that this is why the program hasn't won in since 2001, a lack of leadership at the top. If you're going to fire a guy, you fire him. I don't care. You know, I've heard the excuses that, oh, well, they're trying to keep the freshmen on board, that this young group of kids that they have, they don't want to lose them. You can't worry about the players on the team. If you believe that the guy running the ship isn't the right guy and there's someone else out there that can run the ship, then you go after that guy. Uh, you already seen at a school like Baylor. Baylor was in the Big 12 championship. This was a program a few years ago that was a total – mess they had allegations uh, of rape uh, littered throughout their football program and their football players they were able to overcome everything and play for a conference championship and won it yesterday I just think this idea that you're trying to save the team uh, to go and get the guy you want is ridiculous if they want Mario Cristobal they should let uh, Manny Diaz go and and let him do his thing go find another job and get Mario in there and hire him. The problem is, is now if Mario decides so much time's gone by the last couple of days and Oregon's been able to put um, their contract on the table, if Mario decides to stay, uh, how do you go into next year with a coach that's basically on the hot seat? Like I said, uh, me and Demo are friends with uh, Manny. So we, I, I personally, uh, you know, feel for the guy. I think it's wrong. But I'd feel that way no matter who the head coach was. I think if you're going to decide that you want to go in another direction, you go in another direction and you move on and you go and find that next coach. 
but they're trying to do all of this behind closed doors. They're trying to uh, get Mario in there and then they're going to let Manny go. And if, like I said, if Mario decides he doesn't want that job, you now have a head coach that's basically dead man walking for a whole nother year. And who's going to want that job, you know, next year, once they see how this train wreck of a coaching search is going, I really believe that there it's, there's no beneficial part for either party. And, um, We'll see what happens, but I think Demo may feel some of the same feelings I have. So, well, you know, I do. You know, I entered this business back in the late '80s when a phone call from a coach to another coach meant something. It doesn't mean anything anymore. It's all agent-driven. It's a complete and utter business. So you can't be fooled by anything that goes on. You can't argue with anything that goes on. They let this happen, and the agents run the whole thing. They tell people, be quiet, don't say nothing, don't text, don't call, be quiet, I'll handle it, let me do this, you just go about your business. So none of it's a shock to me. And so what if Miami's doing what they're doing? They all do it. Every single one of them do it. And it's upsetting, but there's nothing we can do about it because that's the way it is these days. And if Miami wants to hold on till they get a commitment or non-commitment from Mario to decide what they do with Manny, so be it. Because if they don't do it, somebody else is going to do it. That's just the way everything is in this society right now and the way the business is. There's no more people making phone calls. It's all people getting together and agent driven and God bless the agents. They're making money right and right and left. So why should you argue with them? They, every, everybody's arguing this, but they let it happen over the years. And now it's happening exactly the way it was laid out. And everybody's complaining about it. I'm like, Hey, who cares? It, it is what it is. And that's the way everybody should feel. Because if you start arguing for something, then you got to argue everything. So it's an agent driven business. They control the whole thing. They control the administration. They control the decision-making. And that's the way it is, unfortunately. Uh, I mean, the, the problem is that this completely has put a, a blockade up at the Miami program. Manny Diaz can't recruit right now. I mean, he can. They, I mean, I know they got a commitment from a linebacker yesterday. I don't think it had anything to do with their coaching. So I think they were going to get that commitment regardless. But he can't really recruit because they don't know if he's going to be there in a week. The kids that are in the class, the few kids they got, they're being held in limbo because if there's a coaching change, there's no guarantee they're going to be part of this class. The player, like you're just, well, as Fish said, if you're gonna if you're gonna fire Manny Diaz, you could you could have done it a month ago and been in the same position. Like I don't think Manny's gonna do it, but what if he just decides he's sick of it and he's gonna resign? Leaves you with no coach, and that leaves you with no leverage. You know what I'm Better saying? Be careful what you're in you this contract. You, paying, you might lose a lot of money. You thought you had to pay Mario Cristobal $8 million a year. You might have to pay him $10 million a year if you ain't got no coach in there. So, you know, there's a to me, I just I agree with Fish that it's just a it's a horrible lack of leadership. They've let too many things leak out. My favorite one is that if they don't sign Mario, they're going to actually offer Manny Diaz the resources that now they've admittedly that they've shortchanged them on. They're basically admitting that, yes, we gave this guy nothing to be successful, and now if we don't get the guy we want, we're going to give him money to be successful. I, the whole thing is a sham. It's a joke. And really everybody involved in it looks like a bunch of clowns. No, I agree with you. You know, Cordy, NCAA washed their hands on all this. They washed their hands. They said, we're going to help the players. We're going to do the NIL. We're going to do the transfer portal. So if a coach doesn't want to stay and he wants to jump ship, why the player can jump ship? So it's all orchestrated. It was all archived to help everybody out. So everybody thinks the players are getting helped out. The coaches are getting helped out. So nobody can say anything anymore. There's nothing you could say. 
because this was all coming down the road. It was happening, and it is what it is now, and nobody can sit there and complain about it until there's restrictions brought back in this whole thing. And right now, I don't see that happening. Yep. I, I just, I, you can tell me that I, it looks like a shit show. And, and uh, the problem you have, and they keep saying Mario's done deal, done deal, done deal. I believe the longer this goes, it's less, it's less and less likely. Like they need to name him by Monday or Tuesday at the latest, because it, it they're killing the, 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 whatever they're going to do this year is over. Uh, he's basically going to have to go in the transfer portal to fix any of the issues that they have. And I, I just don't think, you know, I talked to somebody yesterday and they were telling me that some of the things that, um, you know, uh, Al Golden had to deal with as far as when he got there as the head coach, you know, most schools have, um, you know, somebody find the coaches' homes and they have something set up for cars. Uh, they have something set up for their kids going to certain private schools. Like all of that's taken care of. Like University of Miami, you got to go in there and do that yourself as a coach. And here you are, you're, you're, you know, your wife's driving you nuts. You're moving into a new town. And University of Miami is so far behind in all of these resources. All right, they're going to give Mario the $8 million a year. What else are they going to give him? Mario better negotiate all of this in his contract because it, he, he doesn't want to have to go back six months from now with his agent and be like, oh, well, I didn't get this or that. And constantly, like Jimbo did at Florida State, where he's constantly asking for something every year because he's like, oh, I forgot about that or I need this. Miami is so far behind. Uh, and we're going to talk about Alabama and the SEC schools. They're so far behind the stuff, the administrative stuff that I, it, you wonder why a coach would even want this job. But, you but know? Fish, not to interrupt you, why do you think this has taken so long? Because all the things that you just mentioned, Mario's crossing all his, dotting all his tie, dotting all his eyes, crossing all his teeth. Maybe Mario's not doing it, his agent's doing it. That's why this thing's taking so long. That's my opinion. Yeah, well, I mean, they're, they're going to have to get it right this time because if they're going to spend this money and the resources, listen, there's not – there's no buying Mario out. Like this is going to be one of those contracts that you better make sure one, he's the right guy. I believe he could do a good job, but we've said that about so many coaches that go there. It's like every, you know, we're like, all right, Manny could probably do a good job. He's a local guy. He understands. And he did some really good things. They had a phenomenal recruiting class. I thought he did a good job in hiring uh, Rhett Lashley last year and bringing in a new coach. He didn't, when, he had a wrong coach. He got rid of him really quickly, but Manny was a guy that had never coached before. So you knew coming in that there was going to be a learning process for someone like him. You got Mario coming in. He he's, he's done a very good job at Oregon. We know how intense and organized he is and, and the, a lot of the things that he's going to do, but Miami's got a lot of pitfalls and he better, you know, Oregon's willing to give him all of the things that he needs to be successful. He's already been successful. Will he get the same things at University of Miami? We're going to find out. It's all great. Oh, we're going to build a stadium at, you know, they're talking about knocking Coral Gables High School down now. We're going to build a stadium. We're going to do this. Why did it take freaking 30, 40 years to all figure that? This is stuff we've been discussing for the last 20 years, what's wrong with Miami. Because their back's up against the wall. That's why they realize uh, it. Uh, they realize their back's up against the wall. They have no choice now. You're right. You're right, Fish. They've been talking about it for years. You're absolutely yeah, right. I, I mean, and Nemo's right. I mean, I sit here, deal with it here, you know, in the area I live with the, you know, with the UCF, USF. And the minute UCF 
you know, past USF, they get to join the Big 12. And USF is like, oh, now we'll build the stadium. Now we're, you know, for the, for the last 25 years, they put less money in that football program than Plant High School put in theirs. And they were just hoping, they're just hoping that things are going to happen. And if things don't happen, then you get left behind and you want to say, oh, well, now we're going to do all this stuff. Well, it's too late now. In USF's place, it's just too late. They're lost. They're done. You know, Miami's trying to do it before it's too late because they realize another five years from now, they're going to be on the outside of this whole thing looking at. You don't know what's going to happen. So, that's why UCF you said, is so their backs genius. Are against the wall. That's why UCF is so genius when having an on-campus facility, the on-campus stadium. Anybody who shares an off-campus stadium with a pro team, they're destined to fail now. You have to have all the contract. You have to have all the negotiations in for all the money coming back to you. And the only way to do that is have these on-campus stadiums where the students can get up and walk right to the stadium, pack it, fill it, and go crazy. And you don't have to have a 100,000-seat stadium. You don't have to do it. But UCF, like Fish always talked about, foresaw this and built that stadium yeah. on campus. I, and I now, mean, now they're reaping the rewards. You look at University of Pittsburgh that just won the ACC yesterday. I, I think their coach needs to go in and now say, listen, you want me to stay here long term? I want a long term contract. But these are the things I want now, like for us to get to that next level. It's great that we won the ACC. You want us to compete for national titles or you want us to compete at the highest of levels. Narduzzi needs to ask now. He has all the leverage. He could honestly take another job with all these jobs that are opened up. He's done a phenomenal job. He needs to go in there and do this. These coaches have the leverage now, and their agents have the leverage. And if you're on top, you know you better take advantage of it now because you may not get this opportunity again. They could end up back at five and seven or six and six in two years, and you're wondering why you lost your job. All right, guys. Uh... The biggest, the biggest coach news of the week is still Brian Kelly taking the LSU job and then magically developing a Cajun accent during his address with the fans two days later. Um, I, Fish, you and I have talked about this privately a bit. I, I, people have this weird impression of Brian Kelly. Like I'm like the guy's never lost anywhere he's been. He ain't gonna lose at LSU. And he went fifty-four and nine in his five his last five seasons at Notre Dame. That alone tells me that he he understood that no matter what he was doing, no matter how highly he built that program, they were going to get overmatched by the schools in the southeast. So when the big job opened up down here, the one that he saw that he could win the national title at the quickest, he took it. I don't think Brian Kelly's at LSU for a long time, but I think he's there for a good time. And a good time might get him a few titles. Well, like you said, Corey, he looks back and says, hey, these two guys before me just won a national championship. I don't care if I speak Portuguese to this, this audience. We're going to win a national championship. So really, it's just, it doesn't really matter to me. He's playing a role, whatever he's doing, the microphone, playing the microphone, playing whoever. That guy's going in with one mindset. I'm going to win a national championship here. He couldn't do it at Notre Dame. He brought Notre Dame as far as they could with all the restrictions that people don't understand. They put on the academics and et cetera, et cetera, at Notre Dame. At LSU, he's going to go out and recruit the best players. And now his true coaching that he's done over the years at the different places he's been is really going to come to fruition at LSU. And they're going to win a national championship under this guy. Listen, we've taught Brian Kelly's one of the top coaches in college football. I mean, two playoff appearances at Notre Dame played for a national title under the BCS or whatever the former rules were. This guy's been there three times. He's looked at that monster across the field and said, there's no, no coaching is going to fix 
the the difference between my team and these teams. Like unless Notre Dame, and I'm sure he went to them many times, just like Lou Lou Holtz was able to get the administration or actually bamboozled them into um, making rules changes so he can win a national title. They were not going to allow Brian Kelly to win a championship. They were like, listen, you're going to go with what you have. Uh, and if, if you don't like it, go somewhere else. And he told people for a very long time, I've heard him on a couple times on the Colin Coward show. He said that the Notre Dame job is only for about 10 years. Like he was telling people, eventually I'm going to be out of here. He goes to LSU. He like their fans were upset. We talked about this. Some of them were upset. I'm thinking, wait a second. You won with less miles and you won with the cookie monster. How you think for a second that this guy who's been at the hardest school in the country to recruit to outside of maybe Stanford and Northwestern and Vanderbilt. All right. He's gone there to the top of the mountain and just hasn't, you know, put his pole down yet and finished the job. How can they think for a second, he can't do this at LSU. And I I think he's going to go there within two years, three years, they'll, they'll be in the playoffs and competing for a national championship. And he he's that good of a coach. He's not, listen, he's a, comp- this guy's competitive. This shows that he's competitive, that all he care at the end of the day, he wants a national championship. His legacy has already been cemented. He wants that one last thing that's missing is that national championship trophy to show that he's one of the greatest coaches. He's won at every level, one at grand Valley state. He was the one that won at Cincinnati before, um, the coach Fickle won there. I mean, he went undefeated, and I I believe they were undefeated when they played the Gators uh, in the Sugar Bowl. He took that team to as far as he could go. He took Notre Dame. Now he's going to take LSU to the mountaintop. There is no doubt in my mind that he's going to play for a national title within the next three to four years. Just no doubt in my mind. So, you And could- I think it's going to be a consistent three or four years. It's going to be consistently good. It's not going to yeah. win and then drop off and be no. terrible. They're going to no. consistently be good. No. All right. Uh, no I'm a, I'm a, before we jump to uh, the Notre Dame, Phil, I'm a, at, at Oklahoma, I ask you one quick question. Those were the two biggest moves so far, Lincoln Riley to USC, Brian Kelly to LSU. Will that battle play out on the field sometime in the next three years? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I personally, I th- you'll see them probably, they'll probably schedule a game with them knowing, um, you know, they'll the be in the playoffs. With each other. They'll be, That's yeah, they'll sure. be in the playoffs for sure. Uh, you just, you've seen it this year. There's been a kind of a little shift, even though you got Alabama still in there, there's been a shift like Clemson came back to the pack. So I think some of these teams could pass those other schools really quickly. And you're going to see um, those teams in the playoffs for sure. All right. Um, we go on to uh uh, Notre Dame. Uh, Notre Dame was in a weird spot because Brian Kelly was made, made pretty loud, expensive offers to both offensive coordinator Tommy Reese and defensive coordinator Marcus Freeman. Notre Dame had announced during the week that they had made agreements with both of them to stay. And then later, after about four or five days of, of reports, they promoted Marcus Freeman to um, head coach. Tommy Reese is going to stay on. Freeman, 35. Last year was the D.C. at Cincinnati. That's funny how fast life comes at you. You go D.C., Cincinnati, D.C., Notre Dame, head coach Notre Dame in in about less than 12 months, okay? And Tommy Reese, 29, 
stays on as the offensive coordinator. I know LSU was offering both guys north of two and a half million a year. So obviously they both are getting substantial raises to stay. Um, young coaches, first time coaches, uh, they both seem to be players coaches, which is a little obviously kind of probably different from Brian Kelly. I'm going to assume he's not a players coach. I'm assuming he, he splits himself with staffers that are players, guys, but he himself might not be a players coach. But uh, do you see this Notre Dame thing working out? Do you see it staying stable? Were they, did Notre Dame do the right thing by just trying to have some consistency and stability with that staff? I, I agree that it's the right decision, and for this reason. Notre Dame's a very tough place to coach. You have to understand the dynamics of the university, how it operates, why it operates, what it lets you do, what it doesn't let you do. These two guys, especially Freeman, know it. They've been there. They've seen it operate. So those guys can continue to do the things that need to be done at Notre Dame to try to bring those players in. They know the restrictions and the non-restrictions they could use unless they open it up and give them some things that we don't know about. But at least he knows, understands the inner workings of Notre Dame, and I think it's a good hire. You know, I, I, I'm not sure how I feel about it. I mean, he's a very good guy. I've met him before, and he did a great job at Cincinnati. I just, you got to hope that these these guys understand this is his first time being a head coach. There's going to be some pitfalls in that situation. They are not going to be as stable as they were under Brian Kelly, who's been a head coach before. They're going to have moments where they're going to probably lose to a team next year or the year after that they were heavily favored in. And they're going to look like a co coach team where this guy is a rookie coach. And Notre Dame and their fans and their alumni and their boosters are going to have to accept that there's going to be these issues. I don't believe this is going to be a Ryan Day situation. You know, people compare it to Ryan Day or Lincoln Riley. Listen, Ryan Day coached in the NFL. He coached with other guys. He's been he was being groomed as a head coach for a very long time. This Chip Kelly groomed him, and so did Urban Meyer. I'm not saying he can't have the same success, but this guy hasn't been groomed to be a head coach. There's Guys that have been groomed in that, you know, the, the guy that's the head coach, even when Jimbo was at Florida State, Bobby groomed him. He basically showed him what it was going to take to be a head coach, let him in probably with some of the AD meetings and different meetings that that when you're running a football program, it's not you're not just running the players that are coming in there. You're running all the day to day things that you as a D coordinator did not have to deal with. And now he's at Notre Dame the premier job in the country or one of the premier jobs in the country. And you hope that these people are going to help him out with some of those things that maybe he doesn't know about that. He's going to have issues with. Maybe he doesn't have the questions that are going to need to be answered and they better be patient because we've seen this story before. All right. With coaches like this. And they, if you're going to hire someone like this, you better expect there to be some issues on the field and the results not to always be positive. And if they're willing to give and be patient with him, Freeman could have a lot of success at Notre Dame. If not, we're going to be talking about Notre Dame opening in three years and who are they going to be looking at as the next head coach at that school? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, I, I, I agree with, I agree with both of you. Because I, I, um, I, I do think they're going to have to have a little, little patience. I'd like to see Freeman when he, it's a staff together. I'd love to see him get somebody on the staff that's got that was a former head coach that I think could kind of balance him out a little bit. I think that's a underrated aspect 
for any first year coach, I, you know, you, I think if you can get somebody on that staff, that's, even if they weren't successful, if they were just a head coach before, I can kind of help you through certain areas of, like you said, the day-to-day operations. I think that can make a huge deal, but um, you know, I think it's an exciting time for him. I mean, that's just an amazing, like I said, when you think about it, it's been, I forgot when he was hired over at, I mean, he was hired in January, I think, at Notre Dame. And here we are in December. He's the head coach now. And I mean, this is, you know, he is, he hadn't even, he hadn't even celebrated the one year anniversary of him being the DC in the, uh, what did they play? I think in the Sugar Bowl against Georgia. So all this stuff um, is happening real fast. Uh, final, we're getting a report that Brent Venables is going to be the head coach at Oklahoma. He was there from, uh, for, for, I think, 12 seasons from uh, 99 to 2011 or 2010 before going before heading out. He's been the D.C. at Clemson for their championship run. Um, what do you guys think of this hire? Is this where Oklahoma should be going? Is this where they wanted to go or? Is this not the, if you think this is not the right move? Well, I'll say it's a great hire. I think it's an unbelievable hire. However, he's not an offensive guy. The guy that left is an offensive mind. So they've been talking about it. When you go there, right, their defense is going to be outstanding. They're going to raise the level of Oklahoma's defense. There's no doubt about it. However, can he sustain what Lincoln Riley has done over the years? The only other guy I thought had a shot was going there was Lane Kiffin and an old Miss just boosted up his salary, yada, yada, yada. But I think it's a great hire because Clemson that hold on to this guy for as long as they did and the success that he had there, it's going to carry over. And I'm sure he's been in the inner workings with Dabo, how to be a head coach, yada, yada, all that good stuff. So the main thing is, can he hire an offensive staff to continue tradition what has been like at Oklahoma to score points? Because I think his defense is going to be good, but I think it's a good hire. Yeah. I mean, Venerables has been, we just talked about it. He's been groomed to be a head coach. I mean, he coached under Stoops or, um, you know, Oklahoma when, and Stoops has been around that program. He was the D coordinator now with Clemson and they had a ton of success. The one concern I have, and we've talked about this and, and Demo just brought it up. College football's changed. Uh, just like the pros has, it is a, it is a quarterback driven and offensive driven league. Nick Saban has figured that out. He's the best defensive coach ever in college football. And he realized one day I got to score 30 plus a game or you're not going to play for national titles or win them. Brett Venables. Listen, keep being the best defensive coordinator. You are bringing an offensive guy and let that guy run your offense and get out of the way. Don't, don't meddle with it. Don't tell him what scheme to run. Don't say, listen, I want to keep the defense fresh. I think this is a part of the problem that you see at Georgia, and we're going to discuss that, is they're so concerned of keeping the off defense fresh and limiting the possessions that you you hurt the one side of the ball that helps you win ballgames now, and that's the offense. Get out. Of, it's an offensive scheme, game. Dave Aranda figured that out at, at Baylor. Yeah, you're going to have games like yesterday where – you're going to need the defense to show up, and Baylor it showed up yesterday. But Aranda even figured it out he went out and you got know, Jeff Grimes. I mean, Fish, not to interrupt you, but I heard what you know. I heard what Baylor did. They took their best defensive player, who's an outside linebacker, and made him running back. That's what which, I heard he did. Which so school? You're spot on what you're saying. Which school is that? At Baylor, they took their best yeah, outside mean, linebacker and defense and made him a running back. Because they know at the end of the day, listen, 
you need the defense to come with stops. You don't, you're not this, the days of remember when Florida state and Miami would hold teams to 10, 12 points. That's not, listen, you, they did that in the regular season, Georgia, and they showed all their stats. But when you go to play a team that can put up 30, you better be able to put up 32 or you're not going to win now. It's just the way the game is. All, all the fans get upset that the defense, all the rules, all right, with all the targeting and all the bull crap favor the offense. I mean, you see these DBs now, they can't, they can't touch the wide receiver or they throw a in the Wake Forest game when the yeah. quarterback for Pitt fake slid and the defense yeah. froze and he took yeah. off for another 30 yards for a yeah. touchdown. It just of they, it favors the offense. It favors offense. And if you don't have a coach that's willing to put up 30, 40 points a game. So venerable success and failure at Oklahoma is going to come down to, does he want that same offense? Now the, the rumor is Jeff Levy is his guy. If he brings in Jeff Levy from Ole Miss, then I, I have faith that this guy is going to continue what Lincoln Riley did because he's part of that coaching tree that, you know, that air raid, how mummy uh, type coaching tree that he's going to win. And, and you saw with Bob Stoops, Bob Stoops even figured it out. He had brought in Hypo and he had brought in Kevin Wilson and he brought in all these offensive guys as great of a defensive coach. He was, he knew in the big 12 and to win championships that defense gets you there but offenses put you over the top. And that's what this guy's going to need to do is go out and get a great offensive coordinator and stay out of the way and don't start a Stetson Bennett or will be great. Uh, you know, yeah, he's a, uh, now the word is that Jeff Levy, the, the old miss offensive coordinator is going to be a uh, Venable's top target to join him at Oklahoma. Uh, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see if that happens, but yeah, that just pay the guy and he'll come pay yeah. the guy and he'll go. Well, you know, other you know, the school that's with him can pay him too. That money, money isn't a money shows no bias. Yep. I found that out a long time ago. It generally goes, it it, it travels on, it travels on its own. So uh, yeah, and um, yeah, yeah so, but it also matters who you want to work with too. I mean, sometimes listen, he may not want to work with freaking Lakiffin anymore. It all comes oh, down to no that doubt. too. You know, no doubt. I mean, yeah, I'm just saying that that's who that's who they're targeting, and that's the situation that uh. That's the situation that we are right there with the coaches. Uh, I think that covers everything with coaches right now. I'm sure something will pop up in the next couple of days. If we, I mean, if Mario takes the Miami job and the Oregon job's open now. So, Corey, let me throw this out there. I thought the uh, Penn State defensive coordinator, Brett Pride of Virginia Tech, was a great hire. Because he's hiring a lot of his friends from he coached with over the years that are good coaches from around the area to Virginia Tech. So I think that'll pan out. Yeah, well, anybody who wants to be in Black Blacksburg should be should he should be more than happy to take them. So and yeah. I, I do I, that 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 did intrigue me. And I, I will say this about like for example the Oklahoma opening, Bob Stoops realized that before a lot of other coaches did because he played as he coached at Florida when he saw Steve Spur and he realized as good as his defense was in 96 and there were some great defenses in 96, 97, 98 it was easier to play defense with the offense putting up 56 points a game you know yes. I mean it allowed him to it allowed him to let him to line up that solid front forward just attack the quarterback on every drive so you know these things do work out well defensive coaches can win in this game as long as they you know do the right things we'll be back uh we're going to talk about these games fish is just itching to 
just just jump all over senior accountants that's invented the fourth so we're gonna let them do it we'll be right back before the fish cast Eric Estep here. This episode is brought to you by Forney Industries. Get it done with green. Forney offers a full line of welding and plasma cutting machines, metalworking accessories, and more. For do-it-yourselfers all the way to professional metalworkers, Forney has everything you need for your next project. Shop Forney's top-of-the-line products at forneyind.com. That's Forney, F-O-R-N-E-Y, ind, I-N-D.com, or at an authorized Forney dealer near you.